0: You're listening to WRIR LP 97.3 FM, and this is Open Source RVA. Open Source RVA is WRIR's weekly news digest. Today, we juggle three things at once while chewing gum and making big words with Jonathan Austin, Richmond's original scene-stealing sideshow. And we also dish a little on Richmond's dining scene with the city's top chef, Jimmy Sneed. But first, we rise up with fists talking to some Richmond Public School students who are at the front of a planned walkout to protest deplorable conditions in many city school buildings. Now here are some of the top headlines happening right now.
1: A heavy excitement weighed down the cold mountain air as 45 elk were brought in three large trailers to the top of a former strip mining site just outside of the small southwestern Virginia town of Grundy. The elk, some of them pregnant, were released into a three-acre temporary holding pen where they will be observed by veterinarians for two weeks before being allowed to disperse into the wild. Elk have been extinct in Virginia and most of the eastern United States since before the Civil War. Large populations that once thrived in the Shenandoah Valley and the Blue Ridge Mountains vanished because of overhunting and habitat loss. Now Virginia joins a host of states, including Missouri, North Carolina, and Kentucky that have implemented their own elk reintroduction programs. With the decline of the coal industry in Appalachia, new creative ways to stabilize the region's economy are needed. Aside from seeing the reintroduction of the elk as a human responsibility, it is also thought of as a potential future revenue stream for a region suffering economically. Community and political leaders in Buchanan County hope that a viable tourism industry can take the place of coal mining. The plan is to grow a sustainable herd of 500 to 1,000 animals in the state. In other wildlife news, the Virginia State Fly Fishing Festival took place in Waynesboro on Saturday and Sunday. Hundreds of farm-raised trout were released into the South River and some of the sport's most prominent figures traveled from Virginia From places like New York, Pennsylvania, and Montana to celebrate Virginia's dedication to reviving its rivers and streams. For Richmond Public Media, I'm Onofrio Castillo.
0: For years, politicians, educators, bureaucrats, and parents have debated the state of Richmond Public Schools. Back and forth, and back again, they've pointed fingers, wrung their garments, gnashed their teeth, cast blame and aspersions. And yet, little has been fixed. Richmond Public Schools still performs at or near the bottom in state standards testing. Its on-time graduation rate is at the bottom of the barrel. And two weeks ago, we discovered that that barrel is used to catch slimy black goo dripping from the ceilings of many of the district's deteriorating and long-neglected buildings. While the buildings were being neglected by those same politicians, educators, bureaucrats, and parents, the kids were rarely asked their thoughts. Hey, all you adults in the room, maybe it's time we listen to the kids. I'm with Stuart Shepard and Isabella Arias, and they are both students at Open High, and they are among the organizers of a planned walkout and protest at that school of Richmond Public Schools' conditions. Um, I'm also with Kim Gray. She's a school board member that represents the, and I always get this wrong, second district, um, (laughs) Richmond Public Schools. Kim, thanks for being with me. Stuart and Isabella, thanks for being here.
2: Yeah, thanks for having us.
0: Um, Let's start with you guys, our students here. what are you doing and why are you doing it?
2: Um, well,
3: recently an article was brought to our attention from Style Weekly, and it just kind of exposed the terrible conditions that um, most RPS schools are in. Uh, at Open, like we have a fantastic school. We're so lucky that we're able to be in this building. And because when you're at Open, it's kind of like you're, you're in this little RPS micro-like climate, and you don't really know about the rest of RPS. So when we were reading this article, we saw that um for instance armstrong they are infested with rats and because of their rat problem they now also have a snake problem carver part of their school has been had to be closed off because it was infested with rats and black mold i mean it's so hard to imagine such terrible conditions to have to learn in every day like learning becomes a challenge just even the act of teaching becomes a challenge and i know i don't think that should be the issue the issue should be like learning the information and doing well in school, not like surviving the circumstances in your school.
0: <laughs> so, Stuart, what are you guys planning?
2: Uh, we're planning a walkout on Monday. Um, uh, we're leaving school at eight thirty, and we're walking to City Hall. And we're inviting every student in Richmond Public Schools to join us and protest the conditions that we have in all of our schools. Wow,
3: mm-hmm.
0: that's a a big step, isn't it?
3: Yeah, I mean. We just really want to show City Hall and Richmond City, the people that are being affected by us, like by the funding and by them, to like see the actual faces of the students.
0: Kim, um, you were one of the Richmond Public School Board members who took Style Weekly's reporter into uh, those schools to show him the conditions. Had things gotten to where you you felt that this was the only way you could do this, or, or was it just a, hey, let's go on a tour?
4: Well, um, I just wanted to start to say thank you um, to the students who are brave enough to step up in solidarity with all the students of Richmond Public Schools. It's really commendable, and I really appreciate the efforts that are um, being put forward, and I know that um, it's never an easy choice, the civil disobedience piece of it, but um, I commend those students who are stepping up to help the whole system improve um, what made me um, bring reporters into the school buildings is um, I've never been able to I've been able to talk about the issues but I've never had the support of a majority of the board and, and being able to really expose the the visuals and the conditions that I witnessed and we've finally gotten to a place where we can start telling the truth and I think that it's necessary to to kinda of expose the ugliness so that we can fix it because if we keep denying the existence of the deplorable conditions, no one will ever address them. And I met with Tom Nash and over coffee and, and we were that's talking the
0: reporter of course at Style.
4: Reporter from Style Weekly and he requested access and you know we We are committed as a board to transparency um, at the highest level, Um, transparency, accountability, and we're really working hard to stay committed to that. So it was a difficult thing to do because the culture that has evolved, it's almost like taking someone into the Catholic Church and opening up all the reports and books. You know, I I would say that it's... It's kind of in the same vein. So um, we just really felt a need to show with a picture, um, you know, that old proverb, it's worth a thousand words.
0: <laughs> well, Tom, and Tom wrote a few words. There were, I think, a thousand <laughs> and some change, and they seemed <laughs> to, to be worth a couple of pictures, I guess, right?
4: Yes. So, you know, feelings falling on our children's heads is is. is not acceptable, but I mean, I've seen in the past couple of years more than a few instances where students have been very severely injured just based on the conditions in the buildings so, where the parents send them for an education so, and, and so,
0: the, so whose fault is this? I mean, isn't this the what the job of the school board is?
4: I think it is our it is our job to ensure safety and security in schools absolutely. Um, I think that it's hard to find fault and point fingers at anyone who, you know, if we were saying it's not a problem, then it'd be our fault. But if it's, you know, 30 years, 40 years of severe neglect of of our operations and maintenance, then it's really hard to narrow down, you know, where the communication broke and what happened. You know, feelings don't just start Leaking overnight. Now, last year when the Fairfield ceiling was leaking, it should have been fixed, and we need to be held accountable because now it's in a position. We're in a position where it's it's a severe issue. Someone was hit in the head with a ceiling tile. So, so um, I'm, definitely, I'm, issue, but funds to fix it. All
0: right, and and real quick back to Stuart and Isabella. What are you guys planning exactly you're going to walk out
3: yeah um we're planning on walking out of school and going down to city hall i mean open as a group we're planning on walking down to city hall other schools if they can they can meet us there i know there's also a problem with security in other schools they can't just go walk waltzing out or they like they'll get tackled by security guards and we don't want anything like that to happen like we don't want to cause a disturbance we just want our voices to be heard
0: so how many of you are there at OPEN that are to participate in this?
3: Right now, I don't know a number. I'm hoping for like a, most of our school to participate, but I, I don't know if that's going to happen. I mean, I'm, we are doing our best to get as many people to participate as possible. But also, I know students are scared to walk out of school and, um, and leave and like face the consequences with that. I mean,
0: you, you posted something on Facebook is how you're promoting this? Is that yeah. right?
3: Um, I mean, in the past, social media has been, like, the way to get the message across. Yeah. So we thought that, like, especially to get to the students because everybody has a Facebook to get the message out there was, Facebook
2: was the best method. Yeah, and as of right now, we have about like 90 people saying they're attending, but the Facebook page has only been up for a few days now. But we're asking everyone to share the Facebook event, even if they aren't able to go, just so everyone who can see it will see it. And I know that transportation to City Hall will be an issue, and so I'm willing to shuttle as many people as I can from any school that wants to participate, and so, so
0: people can contact.
4: Yeah, you my at, at
2: my the information's on Facebook, and you can either post on the Facebook page if you need a ride, or you can like send someone a message that's attending, and I'm willing to make as many trips as I possibly can because I want everyone to be able to participate.
0: So, Kim, um, any school yep. board members aware of this, and, and are you guys planning on attending, or what would
4: your response
0: to these kids be?
4: I, I'm just hearing about it today. Um, I'm, I'm hopeful that everyone exercises caution and safety if they're walking, you know, through traffic and things. I don't want anybody being injured. Um, I, I, As a former Open High student, I participated in similar protests. <laughs> um, I, I never paid that much attention to what was going on in other schools, so I think it's profound, and it's an awesome thing that, that Open High students are recognizing that they have uh, an advantage um, in their environment alone, you know, over other Richmond public school students, and and they are willing to say that. So, I just want to make sure everybody's safe and secure. Uh, My day job has me in Northern Virginia Monday morning, Mm -hmm. um, but I will definitely be there in spirit, (laughs) and I hope that the message is, is sent that you know this is an issue that not just school board versus city council or the mayor about the money in the budget It's it's impacting everybody and, and our children the most so we've got to find a way to, to fix it
0: okay and uh, real quick we do have a, a statement from the mayor's office um, regarding that budget and uh, they have said essentially that they hope that the student body is fully informed about how this administration has been increasing school maintenance funds and overall school funding. Um, we also hope it is understood that the school administration needs to develop a plan of action, and we stand ready to work with them. Um, and I guess I probably should ask Kim for a quick response to that, and we have to keep it brief. Um, and then, uh, Kim, thoughts on what their response is?
4: I'm, I'm excited to hear. Um, we have we have presented a plan to the mayor and city council for our facilities. Uh, our plan calls for almost $100 million in maintenance that has been neglected over the past several decades. So I look forward to finding a solution. I mean, we have to move forward. We are responsible as a board, but we don't hold the, the, the money. We don't have control over the money. So short of us you know, putting our own tool belts on and climbing up on rooftops. We have to depend on city council and the mayor. Our, our best laid plans are at their mercy.
0: And just to finish off, uh, the last year's budget, uh, the mayor's office and city council approved uh, about $750,000 for schools' maintenance. That was in the capital budget. And then this year, the proposed capital budget is about $5 million. So it's a significant increase uh, over a budget that was uh what is that's about ten or twelve thousand dollars per school i think um the previous year i guess it was, it was a little bit more than that but uh so um anyway guys thank you very much for being with me today this is uh i been with Stuart shepherd and isabella Arias, and they're both students at open high school who are leading a protest at that school against conditions in richmond public schools not just at their school um, i've also been with kim gray she is a second district school board representative um, and um, a former open high school student as well. <laughs> Kim, thanks for being with me, and Isabella and Stuart, thanks for being here. No, yeah, thank you.
2: Thank you. Well, if you've lived in Richmond
5: for any length of time, you've no doubt encountered really the wizardry of Jonathan Austin, equally at home at kids' parties, outdoor festivals, corporate events, on stage or on the sidewalk, with his hat on the ground. Jonathan, in his 24-hour emergency juggling and magic service, continues to galvanize onlookers. In fact, I saw him a few weeks ago at the Busker event downtown, and as usual, I hid in the back. In addition to juggling knives, fire sticks, and other jagged bric-a-brac, often on top of a unicycle, Austin infuses his dangerous physical astonishments with quick-witted asides and Rodney meets Rickles repartee. Over the course of his career, he's performed at the White House, the Kennedy Center, Walt Disney World, and on several cruise ships. With Jonathan Austin, you don't just get a a juggler, you get an act. And he's been in Richmond's orbit for so long, one often wonders if we aren't taking Jonathan Austin for granted. Should he, in fact, go away? Uh, No, he shouldn't, actually, because he's an integral part of the city. For one thing, he keeps the local fire stick industry in business. And he's here with us to juggle on the radio. It's the one and only Jonathan Austin.
6: You're too kind. I should have <laughs> asked for more money. Thank you so much. And uh, wow, is all I can say. I'm walking taller as we speak.
5: Well, uh, welcome. It's an honor. I've wanted to have you on Same the program here. for a while. And uh, you not only brought yourself, but you've brought uh, your own bunny. My own
6: bunny Duncan's proud to be here.
5: It's an open source RVA first, ladies and gentlemen. That's right, a bunny being interviewed. <laughs> is he going to be like your spokesperson? Spokesman, in case I ask you, I think you so. Really if I have to plead
6: the Fifth Amendment, uh, the bunny's going to speak for me.
5: <laughs> oh, let us entertain you. That's right. That's right. Uh, I have so many questions, but I guess the Please. first, the first one is, where did you come from?
6: Where did I come from? Well, that's open to interpretation, but uh, I i sure am glad I moved to planet Earth. Uh, I'm actually from Richmond. I was born in Charlottesville, but we've lived here since uh, I mm-hmm. was two, Kensington Avenue, the North Side. So. Wow. now in Southside. But uh, yeah, I'm from I'm from Richmond, the city itself. So,
5: so uh, what was the very first thing you ever juggled?
6: What was the very first thing I ever juggled? I guess I'd have to say that was three tennis balls when I was 12 years old. That was the first thing I ever juggled.
5: Really? Now, had you been a fan of magic uh, as a child? Uh, or was Good a- question.
6: Uh, when I was nine and ten, I did a little bit of magic kind of as a passing fad. You know how children,
5: mm-hmm. one
6: month they do one thing and the next month they're doing something else. Right. And, uh, as a parent, you have to act like each thing's the greatest thing they've ever done. Mm-hmm. So I did a little mm-hmm. bit of magic when I was nine and 10, lost interest, uh, just became interested in juggling when I was 12, and just practiced and figured out the right way to do it, and went to town and never looked back. And that was <clears throat> years ago.
5: <laughs> right, right, right. Now, uh, what was the first dangerous thing you ever juggled?
6: First dangerous thing I ever juggled when I was 13. A friend down the street on Hawthorne Avenue, Fred Sims, <laughs> made some homemade torches. Uh-huh. Uh, a wooden dowel uh, tying a, uh, like a, a torn up towel mm-hmm. with a, a metal wire onto the end of these. We uh, Sounds really did, safe. Yeah. Sounds safe. A, <laughs> yeah. This is what you want your 13-year-old <laughs> doing. Let me be an inspiration to all the kids out there. <laughs> so yeah, I guess juggling torches when I was 13 was the... Uh, now
5: how, did, now, how did that work out for you? Because I have a series of questions for you on how you sure. practice. I mean, uh, you know, you, uh, you can juggle these knives almost effortlessly, but how do you practice that? There must have been countless mishaps and accidents along the way.
6: Nothing too bad, but yeah, a few here and there. I guess I learned how to juggle uh, torches uh, with them unlit, and then he said you just have to go for it. And I guess I've been lectured umpteen times not to light them. So uh, yeah, I guess I practiced with them unlit and then just lit them and just kind of took off from there. And then I guess I really had a professional set of torches by the time I was uh, with a, within a year or so and wow. started doing them in shows and that kind of stuff. At June Jubilee, I remember doing torches when I was 15, so that'd be 1985, so mm-hmm. long
5: ago. So, so it wasn't long after you started juggling that you started juggling uh, in, in,
6: you That's know, That's right, uh, yeah. I started juggling public. when I was 12 and 13, learned the unicycle. Fourteen started doing shows, and then uh, fifteen started working at Kings Dominion Theme Park. Back then, they used to hire jugglers, which was great. You could do it on the street, and
5: you would go f- uh, around the the, uh, the the entire park, and the entire park. And, yeah, yeah, there are a
6: few specific areas I stayed more in, but uh, yes, yes, I had a as I as I say, I had a place to be uh, really bad, if you will. It was great training, and the fact that you had to do the shows over and over and if the audience didn't want to stay, they didn't want to stay. So it's your job to keep them, mm-hmm. keep them right there. there. Yeah, so. Well, great did
5: you time. have a mentor? Did you have someone who helped you there to learn people. the art
6: of juggling? Nobody real famous, but uh, Robert Holroyd, Max Winfrey. Uh, both of them worked at Kings Dominion before me. And Max Winfrey, who's uh, from Mechanicsville, actually wound up being my boss at Walt Disney World later,
4: 1991,
6: hmm. 1992, for three years when I was the juggler down there. So that was uh, great times, too. So uh, no, nobody famous. um I mean, I have lots of inspirations, Steve Martin, David Letterman, people like that, but nothing specific. I was going to ask you, as a Japanese. comedian, uh, Oh, thank uh,
5: yeah, who... Uh,
6: I guess Steve Martin, David Letterman, they're big heroes. Henny Youngman uh, comes to mind. <laughs> so lots of uh, great... Uh, one the Borscht Belt. Like that. The Borscht Bell. Yeah. you got it. That's right. They actually had jokes to me. It wasn't uh, funny situations. They could actually tell a joke within a sentence or two.
5: Right, right. Well, you get a lot of paused laughter from your crowds. I've noticed that well, people, get people that get the joke late...
6: I get the joke late. Sometimes you have to uh, time yourself and before you right. go on to the next one, make sure everybody gets who's going to.
5: Where, where do you come up with your material? Is it, I know, of Some of it seems ad-libbed.
6: Yeah, yeah the vast majority has been uh, on the spot. Things have been said to me, uh, making stuff up here and there. So uh, I guess like uh, anybody who does something like I do, maybe they have like four or five hours worth of material and they
5: mm-hmm. come with
6: their whole... Arsenal, and then just pick and choose what to do from there. So
5: right, and you, you do a lot of different types of events. I'm guessing you tailor make your yes, yeah, I do. I do uh, like
6: Joe's in Bon on Wednesday nights, where I just have card tricks, coin tricks, rope tricks, go table to table, and juggle bean bags. And then I have shows where I'm juggling fire and up on the unicycle. And so yeah, I like uh, the uh, the uh, diversity, I guess, of a big crowd, small crowd, and just doing different. Mm-hmm. Uh, yesterday, I was at a luncheon for. Uh, female uh, business owners in, where was I, uh, Emporia yesterday, and then mm-hmm. tomorrow I'll be doing a birthday party at the same hour, so right. go figure, each, each one has its uh, rewards and, and fun aspects
5: of it. Well, you work off the crowd a lot, uh, and I'm just warning Most all early. of you out there in radio <laughs> land, don't be surfing your iPod while Jonathan is working, oh you, my gosh.
6: You regret it. You will regret it. You right. will will regret it. You. You've made yourself an open target if you do anything like that, or if you talk to somebody next to you, I'll... <laughs>
5: <laughs> right. Well, you're never brutal with people, but you're definitely, you. Uh, you know, you get some zingers in on them. Have you ever gotten into a fight or some sort of skirmish because you just happened to pick on the wrong person? No, no.
6: Nothing ever like that's ever happened. Uh, no, nothing nothing of that nature. I'm sure I've upset somebody here or there, but uh, you can't worry about that par for the course. And uh, everything's been great in general. I I'd like to think... 98 to 99% of people are great people and they have a sense of humor so Mm -hmm. you just have to bring it out in them and uh that's your job right that that separates the good from the bad and
5: well, you also use audience members in, in the performance to help you on can. the unicycle or to throw you sticks of fire. Has, any of, has, has that ever gone wrong? Because it almost or. did the night that we saw you. Yeah,
6: you know, I, I, uh, I think I... Or do you play that up? I play it up. I guess you could, to, uh, to the, the biggest aspect that you can definitely play it up. But nothing too bad. Uh, I've never had any accidents. No one's ever gotten hurt in mm-hmm. 30 years of doing it. So, uh, so it's a good thing,
5: yeah. Well, sort of a similar question to, sure. as before. How are you able to be the comedian ride the unicycle juggle the fire how are you able to do all of that at once and how did you practice that sure multitasking right the first man (laughs) ever that goes to all the
6: moms multitasking
5: that could go very wrong that
6: could go very wrong i tell you the juggling and everything i uh i mean i did so much of that the first uh, three years so to me it's it's the old cliche it's not what you do it's how you do it Mm Less than ten percent of it's the actual juggling, the unicycle, the magic aspect. Hmm. Uh, over ninety percent's the repertoire, the audience participation, the way you make people feel. So, um, I've seen many great technical jugglers that can put you to sleep in thirty seconds, and I've seen some that can't really juggle that well, but they're so entertaining you can't keep your eyes off them for an hour. So, right, right, it's just the way it goes. So, it's uh, once again not what you do, it's how you do it. And less than ten percent's the actual technical aspect, the mm-hmm. uh, physicality of what you're doing, if you will.
5: How, how long did it take you to come up with what we see today, the act, as well, I refer? To
6: well, it's it. ongoing. It's, uh, it's never ending. It's like a poem. It's never finished. So I'd like to say 30 years. I'd like to think each time you get a little better with each and every show. And definitely some crowds are better than others, but the vast majority of my crowds are very good. Once a year, you get some crowd that you can't get going or something like that, mm-hmm. but uh, that makes you dig your heels in deeper and try to get them rocking. So um, yeah, I'd, I'd say it's ongoing. I'd say to this day, from the day I started till now, there was no uh, break-off point, and, uh, and another funny uh, aspect that I think about often is, boy, I wish I had those shows back the first ten years that I was doing it, because uh, you feel like you could have done them a lot better. <laughs> oh, well, right. <laughs> done right, a lot right. more justice to it at King's Dominion and that kind of stuff, but you had a place to uh, train, so you always have to remember that when you're seeing a performer or something like that, or seeing a high school production, that uh, they're up and coming, right? Mm-hmm. It's always ongoing, I mean, but, uh, Yeah. yeah.
5: Well, uh, uh, talk about your wife, Cheryl. How does she feel about juggling? And how did you guys meet?
6: Uh, we actually met uh Juggling. We met <laughs> at the Fall Festival at Meadow Farm on October 20th, 2001. Okay. You hear that, honey? Uh, you remembered. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. When I locked eyes with her, I think I dropped what I was juggling. <laughs> I could write for a hallmark. Uh, let's see. So we uh, met doing a show, and uh, we've been together ever since. Everything's fantastic. And we have a five-year-old son named... Truman, who's a, a great enthusiast and uh, seems to take a liking to the stage. So I was going to um, say,
5: are you, are you uh, teaching him the ropes? As I I, he he's seemed to have gotten
6: the magic on his own, so uh, that's, that's very flattering as a father and high hopes with that.
5: And uh, But just, uh, what do you do when he comes home with the fire sticks, with the and, the fire sticks and the knives and says, yeah, "Dad, I'm I ready say? for the next level now?
6: <laughs> I guess I have to put myself in his position and say, well, let's take it step by step. Maybe we'll put tape over the machetes or the knives first until we master it, and then at some point you have to let go of uh, being a father and trust that he's going to be okay.
5: (laughs) Right, right. Um, Has there been a trick or a stunt that you've wanted to pull and you just haven't done it yet, or you're working? It's one of those uh, goals to attain.
6: I guess, yeah, not, not, not really too much. It seems like everything I've ever really wanted to do that I think would work for my personality, for my show, and what the audience would appreciate me doing I've uh I've been okay with, if mm-hmm. you will. So yeah, there's not really uh one more beanbag that I wanna throw in the air or one more torch. Uh just like anything with the shows, uh I I guess any performer can you are you're, you're you are your own worst critic. After each show I kinda like, Oh gosh, I could have said this at that point, I could have done that at this point. Mm-hmm. And that's gonna be even after thirty years i'd expect another thirty years to be the same and at some point you have to just pull back and yeah. say hey I'm okay with uh, what was and it was great fun and uh, there could have been something else you could have said at that point when that subject came up or mm-hmm. but uh yeah so seems I'm to happy. seems
5: to me that you're really good at reading crowds uh, Thank how, how are the richmond audiences different from uh, other places you've performed? uh the richmond audiences
6: in general are great fantastic i i have uh, no complaints. It's so funny. Many times you think you're going to get a great crowd, and they're kind of slow, and vice versa. You think, oh, I can't wait to get to this crowd. They're going to be fabulous, and they're kind of uh, not Mm -hmm. as uh, into it. But it's uh, funny, even like I've been doing Joe's in Bonaire, doing magic out there, and other restaurants for 20 years, and it's just amazing. You may go to a a dozen tables in a night, and each table just has a totally different vibe, whereas one table, Mm -hmm. you can do no wrong. Another table, you have to get going, but... uh, At the same time, you have to be able to step out of that and just realize it may reflect them more than you and just be okay with what is. Mm -hmm. So and then a lot of times audiences are a little slower when you do get them going, which is what your job is, Uh, it's all the more rewarding, if you will, because, wow, okay, they were Mm kind of down, kind of acting like it was a TV show, and now they're
5: And you revive
6: them. Yeah, exactly. Got them going.
5: Well, um, talk about some of the other, I mean, you've played on the streets of Richmond, uh, but yeah. uh, what are some of the other places? I, I mentioned guess, yeah, the White prob- House. Yeah, uh, the White
6: House, the President's Inauguration, uh, Kennedy Center, very proud of those uh, three places. Walt Disney World for three years when I was 20, 21, now, did you 29. do a
5: similar thing that you did at King's Dominion? At uh, uh,
6: King's Dominion Bush, yeah, I've always just done, I mean, I've You kind
5: of worked the whole park? Yeah, uh, I worked
6: the whole park and tried to get people to gather around and do a show, kind of just like at uh, First Friday, I mean, just kind of... Mm-hmm. Keep talking to the crowd and uh, let them come to you, and then really hit them over the head at the end with the unicycle bit, <laughs> or whatever it is you're doing. So uh, sometimes I go out the first Friday and just juggle uh, torches. I've uh, done shows at uh, Central Park and uh, where recently, uh, Washington Redskins. They were an absolutely fabulous crowd last fall. That was a big. This good. was
5: at the uh, Redskins camp.
6: This was actually at uh, Macy's in uh, shore Pump uh, Town Center. Oh wow! They had a day where they uh, gave out coats to. Uh, uh, underserved, uh, mm-hmm. students, which mm-hmm. is very, yeah. no- noble to Macy's and, uh, the Redskins were there and boy, they were, uh, I- I'm not that familiar with the Redskins, their specific, uh, players and stuff. I obviously, <laughs> I know who they are, but yeah, they were uh, more than responsive, which, uh, meant all the more because of their, mm-hmm. because of what they've accomplished in life. So that was a, uh, really big deal. And then, uh, last year, the Today Show, Ran something about Jonathan Austin's twenty-four hour emergency juggling and magic service. Somebody really sent something in from uh, Midlothian. Yeah, so that and that was real good because so it was my, like
5: a clip of you performing.
6: It was uh, it was my business card and a big poster of me. Is mm-hmm. what it was. Mm-hmm. And then they proceeded to talk about it for a minute. And uh, I, they didn't call or anything. They didn't call before, after, email or anything. <laughs> and uh, all of a sudden, people called me saying they uh, don't
5: have to. They're the Today Show. I Well,
6: yeah, you you take what you can get, right? And then and then uh, whatever within an hour. 50 people were contacting me in every way saying I was just on the Today Show. And I was like, wait a second. Uh, no, I wasn't. And, uh, and I was, so that was quite a break. That was wow.
5: that was good. Yeah,
6: yeah, yeah. That was. Now, uh,
5: when something like that happens, when you get mainstream national media attention, uh, mm-hmm. does, uh, does that reflect locally? Like, Do you start getting more gigs or more calls I, for your Yeah, service? I think it all
6: kind of works out. Mm-hmm. A, a lot of my uh, businesses repeat business and word of mouth. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it definitely uh, helps. Every little bit to get gigs from that, definitely. Yeah, you, you used a to. Uh, paper and stuff. You had
5: mentioned before the interview that you uh, were on re- kind of a retainer or something with First Fridays for a while. I How, was,
6: yeah, yeah. So, and uh, hopefully, uh, yeah, when I can make it out there.
5: How uh, often does that happen? Where someone just says, "Hey, we want you to just come into our event uh, every every month and just."
6: Oh gosh, I guess there's several places like that. So uh, I guess it happens some, but. Uh, mm-hmm often enough, I guess you could say, so uh, yeah definitely chosen and then there's lots of places that I go to each year, so I have to uh, change the act around, which is good too so everybody wins and it's neat I do like uh, I like meeting new people and seeing new crowds, and there's definitely a big plus with that, but at the same time it's also neat to uh, know your crowds mm-hmm. intimately so you recognize them and know their names and know what uh what they like and can
5: everything. you can you read a crowd automatically like okay your act starts and you're looking around you've got all the faces watching you are you able to then do it or is it something that has to happen throughout the performance as you i like engage? to think i
6: can read them pretty fast i'd say within a minute or two there's some sort of rhythm mm-hmm. to the crowd and you figure it out i mean it is ongoing till the end but uh definitely uh you figure it out and like i said some crowds uh, like yesterday the ones the one in employee i none of them had seen me before and uh they were instantly open to it, so just you—you you could do no wrong. And then other mm-hmm. crowds, okay, what's up with this guy? Is he new in town? And then have to work it a little bit and prove your chops. And uh, mm-hmm. I respect that too. So. Do you have good. to I'm
5: gauge uh, your uh, sort of your danger level of what you want to do with the event? Oh,
6: i Yes, yeah, definitely. Uh, the yeah, uh, dangerous. M- maybe
5: some places that say, "Hey, yeah, uh, Jonathan, don't bring the fire sticks. Don't bring
6: the fire sticks. Don't do those inside." So yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah i don't do the fire too too often uh I do it at summit parties and stuff like that, but yeah, you definitely want to gaze that and machetes and uh level of jokes and mm-hmm. I mean I do some uh double entendres and innuendo humor uh, for adult crowds and uh, that goes over real well mm-hmm. and so yeah, you have to gaze that and you don't want to offend anybody uh, uh put anybody off if you will so
5: right and then then I guess you have to modify that when you go and play like you a, do like, like a, a
6: children's party. a birthday party it's totally being silly and uh, radi g and all that so you uh, Mm-hmm. adjust accordingly, and uh, I like to think uh, I do okay with that, so that's um, good. Uh, you've, also, uh, you've,
5: you've, you're, uh, you've also been a master of ceremonies. Yeah,
6: uh, lots of events uh, here and there, yeah, auctions, uh, master of ceremonies. Uh, Are you comfortable with
5: that without the magic? Oh,
6: without, without doing the actual magic or juggling? Oh, yes, very much so, yeah, especially if you can play off the crowd or introduce the next act. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely do uh, some of that, and sometimes I'll work in the juggling and magic with it, so it just depends, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely... Uh, Definitely love to do that, and a lot of times that comes from uh, having done an event for them. They're like, oh, we'd like for you to come back and right. host the auction, host the talent show. Or yeah, something also, you're
5: uh, what's this about? You're an auctioneer as well.
6: Do some of that as well uh, when need be. Yeah, auctioneer. Do, do you
5: know the uh, auctioneer style, the fast-paced rhythm of the
6: I, I, I know it's somewhat, pattern? yeah, but it's more about emceeing. And, uh, but yeah, I definitely have done some auctioneering, so it's right. good, yeah.
5: We'll uh, uh, talk a little bit about where we can uh, see you in the coming weeks. What I see in the
6: coming weeks, Um, let's see, this Sunday I'll be at uh, Forest Hill Park for... Family Day. Sunday
5: the 27th.
6: Sunday the 27th, just yeah, a couple days away, and, so really looking forward to that. And, and the French f- Food Festival, French Food Festival it? the following Saturday from uh, 12 o'clock to 3 o'clock. Uh, oui, wee, oui, hachante <laughs> using using uh, Bon Jovi.
5: <laughs> how many French jokes are we going to hear that <laughs> That's day? right, how many French jokes are we Our Jerry hear? Lewis jokes. <laughs> <laughs>
6: <laughs> 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 that's right. No, you will crap, never let crap. the French f- forget that uh-huh. they love Jerry Lewis. I, they, they, they have taken a liking to him, that's <laughs> for sure. <laughs> <laughs>
5: so uh, anything else coming uh up?
6: Ah, oh, let's see. All sorts of stuff. I'll be a broad Appetite. I'll be a dogwood dell, June twenty ninth. Looking into the future, that was just scheduled. So, uh, all sorts of July fourth. I do some stuff around town, including a Meadow Farm. Do something out there. So, mm-hmm. uh, please look out for me. Are, are you
5: pretty much performing every day, pretty much oh, somewhere? Oh gosh, or? let's
6: see. Uh, I guess maybe I do uh, three hundred shows a year, or something like that. So mm-hmm. it just depends. Some days are busier than others, but. Uh, yeah, it works. it works itself out doing something at a school or something like that. Usually during the week, it's a little more uh, low key, and the weekends tend to be a little bigger, but it all works. And mm-hmm. It's all great fun. I, I've never had a bad time doing this in 30 years.
5: If people want to learn more, they can go to jonathanaustin.com.
6: Please do, Jonathan Austin, or Facebook me. Um, he's Facebookable.
5: Hey, Facebookable. <laughs> I've been called worse. And remember, don't be <laughs> surfing that iPod when he's working. Okay? Exactly. I will <laughs> lay into you. <laughs> you are free. <laughs> You are listening to Open Source RVA. I'm Don Harrison, and I've been speaking with the great Jonathan Austin, juggler, magician, MC, auctioneer, leader of men. For more on Jonathan and where you can find him and his amazing feats in the coming days, you can go to jonathanaustin.com. Hey, thanks for coming.
6: Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure, and I appreciate you having me here, Don. And and your bunny as well. Duncan's happy too.
5: (laughs) (laughs) He hasn't crapped once. (laughs) No, 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 he's trained.
6: (laughs) I might call pumping if you
1: got Support for WRIR comes from Style Weekly, Richmond's alternative weekly for news, arts, culture, and opinion. This week's edition is now on newsstands and at styleweekly.com.
0: Jimmy Sneed is a legend in Richmond Dining. And his equally legendary Chaco Slip restaurant, The Frog and the Redneck, was one of the first true fine dining experiences many Richmonders had back in its heyday before the turn of the 21st century. Always an original and always opinionated. Sneed's hardly stayed quiet since Frog closed. Blow-toed, his Kerrytown pizzeria was short-lived, but it made an impression. What also always makes an impression is Sneed's commentary. He's got an upcoming piece in Style Weekly, using a recent Times-Dispatch dining review screed about bad service as a jumping-off point. For Sneed, the trouble is the service in town, but it's also the owners, and the diners, and the chefs. The names in this interview have been bleeped to protect the innocent. I'm with Jimmy Sneed, the famous Jimmy Sneed. Once infamous, famous. The infamous Jimmy Sneed um he's of course the former owner proprietor of frog and the redneck and uh he's man about town um who kind of knows the industry um and jimmy thank you for being here today
7: oh my pleasure it's a big deal for me i got a haircut wearing my special boots
0: for radio your radio boots yeah. they look good so Again, I guess the reason that we got on this topic was, well, actually, the reason we got on this topic was two years ago and talking about, I guess, the food industry, and it was an article I wrote for Richmond Magazine, and then we got started talking about your pet peeves, I guess, and they're not really pets. They're sort of wild animal peeves um, in the industry. And then here in the last couple of weeks, there was a, uh, a food writer for the Richmond Times Dispatch who wrote something that very much touched on some of those topics that we had talked about.
7: Yeah, that there. went viral pretty fast. Uh, a lot of people are retweeted, and, and uh, uh, I've talked to a lot of people that don't really follow the buzz in town, and they read it. So it, that article struck a nerve.
0: So why don't you introduce what the topic of that article was that did, in fact, strike a nerve?
7: Well, I think uh, you know it's a, a food writer was criticizing servers in this town, and uh, her position was that you know we're we're a restaurant town on the verge of greatness and and our our big failing is uh, the quality, the level of service, professionalism and um, you know, I read that, and I felt that was just so unjust because it's not it's not a failing of the servers that they black standards and professionalism in some of the places. It's certainly ownership and management. So I, I went ahead and put my ideas, my feelings down on paper and, uh, and uh, posted it on my blog. And um, I just want to stimulate the discussion. I just want, I want to I talk about why restaurants today in this town and in other towns fall so short of the standards that that, that I was trained with. Uh, you go to a great restaurant in Washington, D.C., New York City, Chicago, any any great restaurant town, and you're going to find down and dirty restaurants with no standards, and some of them are fun to go to. But you're also going to find... Uh, uh, restaurants that respect the industry, respect the professionalism, respect the standards, you know?
0: And again, I guess it was about two years ago, maybe it was a year and a half ago that I wrote this this article for Richmond Magazine. And this was the topic that you talked about, but it was all, I'm not talking about this. It was this problem that you saw with, with those standards and how restaurants follow through on making sure that their staff um, understands that the front of the house is as important as the back of the house Every in, bit. in representing the house. Every bit. It's, I guess it is. It's your front porch, right?
7: But you know, the, um, you know the French, however you feel about the French, uh, really invented cuisine as we know it. And they've got 300 years of, of tradition and history. And their food is prepared the way their food is prepared. And it's served by professional servers whose father was probably a server, maybe in the same restaurant. And I'm not saying that that's, I, well, I guess I am. I'm saying that if you're going to be a <laughs> server, take it as a profession. Don't take it as you know, you know. Oh, I'm going to go to work now, and I'm going to I'm going to schmooze, and I'm going to make 200 bucks tonight, and then I'm going out with my friends. Uh, that's not the right way to approach this industry at all. Same with the cooks. You don't go in there and say, "Oh, we're going to get busy tonight, man. I'm going to slam it, and then we're going to, you know, drink some beer and go out and." It's
0: well, so I, I guess this is raises exactly the the question again. You're saying that this is a generational thing in in French cuisine, and here. Uh, frankly a server job is a job between or not for everybody for always but a lot of times a job between jobs i've i've gotten uh, into college and i'm working my way through college and so i'm going to work as a server sure how do you how do you put those standards on somebody who's also studying for you know however many nights a a week or hours a night excuse me to to make it through school or you know you know i'm
7: sorry but i'm 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 here to put out the best food i can put out I want my customers to love the food, love the service, and walk out of here with a warm feeling. I don't want them to feed themselves and then you know, pay the check and walk out and say, yeah, we'll come back here you know, once in a while. I want them to love the experience. And I can't do that with a, a, a server who says, oh yeah, I'm gonna do this for a few months and make some cash. So some restaurants can hire those people, But if you're going to call yourself a good restaurant, then you need to set standards and you need to hire professional servers. And there are plenty of them out there. There are plenty of people out there that have put three, five, seven, ten years into waiting tables, uh, cooking, and grown into management, and and, and now manage great restaurants or have one of their own.
0: So you put this on
7: management. I put this on. Is
0: it a problem? Is this a problem?
7: It's a huge problem. I put this on, I put it on everybody. Drawing them out. I put it on everybody. I put mm-hmm. it on ownership management. I put it on your, your, your peers, the, the, the other servers, mm-hmm. the other cooks, and I put it on the customers. If your customers are going to allow bad service to happen, it's going to keep happening. And that's, uh, for me, it's a circle of respect. Yeah. As an owner, I want to respect you for working your heart out, and I will. And I want you to respect me for recognizing how hard you work. And I want the customers to love the food so much that they respect you as a server. They respect the people in the kitchen. They respect the restaurant. They respect the food. You know, just to, to, to it kills me when when people will eat bad food and rave about it because, well, I'm a nice person. You know, I'm a nice person. I had a great meal. Oh, he's a great chef. Oh, I had a great meal last night. But but you ask them about it, and they didn't. So do you see that happening a lot in Richmond? Oh, my God. Oh, my God, yes. You know, um, you know I wrote so, about... Well, uh, I thought
0: this was... A, we're, we're a restaurant town.
7: We have a lot of restaurants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we do. Okay. We have a lot of restaurants. But, you know, I... Uh, I bet there was a cook that used to work for me and, and and he and I were having a discussion last week and he's been around a while. And I said, asked him, I said, Bill, is there any kitchen in this town where the cooks wear chef coats and they're buttoned up and their, their cuffs on their sleeves are folded one time and they're there to work their hearts out. And And, and, And his answer was none that he knows of. And this is a guy like me that's been around this town a lot of years. Um, If you find it, anything that resembles that, it's usually going to be like in a hotel setting where corporate dictates that that's the way it's going to be. But you walk into most kitchens in this town and they're wearing their t-shirts from home and they're standing at the back door smoking cigarettes and they got their baseball caps on backwards and they don't shave. They come in two hours late. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with which? Two hours late is a bad thing, but all the rest of that, what's wrong with that? Because it's the same in any field whatsoever. If you're about to go under the knife and your surgeon walks in and he's got a baseball cap on backwards and he's flicking a cigarette on the floor and and he's wearing, you know, a cop gets out of a car and he's got, you know, tennis shoes on and torn pants and, you know, I'd, I'd put your car in gear and take off because you're not dealing, you're not dealing with a professional. And I'm I'm going to put the next plain clothes that pulls me over I'm the, just going to go. <laughs> I
0: mean, you're not a professional. If they say clothing makes
7: the man, <laughs> I think uh I think you see a huge difference in somebody that dresses professionally. You know? And me don't don't get me wrong, I'm I'm Mr. Blue Jeans. I haven't I haven't had a pair of pants for, I haven't owned a pair you're of wearing pants. We're pants right now. Just blue clarify. jeans. They're blue jeans. <laughs> so I'm not, you know, I'm just saying that you know how you feel about your profession is reflected by your whole attitude.
0: So, who does it? What are the, what are we doing wrong? And who does it right? Is there somebody in town that's doing it right to your to your mind?
7: I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. Um, yes, but even the ones even the ones at the top of the pile that are that are that are doing it better than everybody else, they don't have to do it any better than they're doing because they're already on the top of the pile. You know, they're already like, well, we're doing it better than anybody else in town. Why do we have to do it any better? But you put them up against the professional chefs of New York City, and it, it, it's an embarrassment. Am I saying that we are New York City? Absolutely not. What Am about
0: I, the professional staffs of New York City? I guess I didn't hear them talking about staff, I'm sorry.
7: Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing. The professionals are professionals. You know, they take pride in what they're doing. It's not about me, me, me. Same with a chef. It's not about me, me, me. It's about, it's about coaching a team. It's about working together every night to put out the best product you can possibly put out. And when you do, then at 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock, it's high fives all around the kitchen. Let's clean up and come back tomorrow and do this again. You know, I, 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 think, I'm, I, I think it's safe to say every restaurant I've opened, when I've interviewed cooks, there's a, 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 a majority of them are looking to get out of where they are because they want higher standards. Huh? I mean, you know. I, you, you, so, so in other words, what you're saying is that the talent
0: in this town does want this. It wants standards.
7: Absolutely. When people I know and love and trust in this industry say, I can't find good waiters, that's crazy talk. I can't find good cooks. That's crazy talk. What you need to find is good people that care, that want to be better, that want to be passionate about their work, so, that want to learn how to do a better job.
0: So clearly this article, the, the, uh, the one that ran in the Times-Dispatch, struck a nerve, as you said. It went viral. It went viral for you. It became a virus.
7: <laughs> I'm the virus.
0: You're the virus. When we talked after that, and you know, I, I think I texted it to you or forwarded it to you somehow – what came out of your mouth when we talked afterwards was you were going through exactly what we talked about before. It's it's this the problem. Waiters is is, is touching their face. They're they're fixing their hair. They're picking their teeth, and then they're coming right to your table and serving you.
7: Oh my God! Uh, yeah, I, I was at uh, I was at the bartender had this big wad of hair on her head kept falling down so she'd pick it up and put it back on her head and and meanwhile she's pouring drinks and and handling glasses and taking money no thought of washing her hands no thought of washing her hands so she walks to the end of the bar where she has a plate of food and a glass of water and she fills up her mouth with food and comes back to center bar chewing her food waiting on customers and this went on for 15 minutes and the guy I'm sitting with, I go, hey, look at that, Shell. He goes, what? I said, the bartender. She keeps walking to the end of the bar, filling her mouth, coming back and waiting on people, right in front of everybody. He goes, oh, I, never, I didn't notice. So you this know, is the circle
0: of respect you were talking about. We don't expect it.
7: Well, now you have a situation where she, she doesn't have enough pride not to do it. The other servers don't have enough training or sense of responsibility to just walk up to her and say, hey, Dora, you can't do that. You've been, you've been playing with your hair. You've been scratching your face. You're eating food in front of the customers. You can't do that. So the other waiters aren't saying it. Managers walk on the floor. He doesn't say it. Customers are sitting there having a good time. They don't even see it. It's right in front of them and they don't see it. You know why they don't see it? Because it happens everywhere. It happens everywhere I go. So
0: what do we get? if we were to see a restaurant industry in this town that suddenly raised those standards not suddenly but 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 raised its standards and tomorrow when i go to a restaurant i have a a wait staff that that is to your professional standards what 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 would we as customers get what do we what do we get out of that
7: you'll get unbelievably better food and service and value unbelievably better I've hired cooks. I hired a guy at, uh, at Blowtoed. He was a chef. He was a sous chef at He'd been there three years. Prior to that, he was nine years at B***. Nine years at Three years at B***. He's using the same knife to cut meat and fish. Okay? In our industry, you've just killed people. You have just killed customers. You know, he dropped something on the floor, he'd pick it up and put it on his cutting board. I'd eat it. you would eat it you would eat it (laughs) and not know I probably did and not know (laughs) that was me but you know what after after three weeks six weeks in the kitchen working together as a team somebody drops something on the floor and immediately it goes back to the sink it gets washed it gets put away immediately because these these employees want that they want to do the right thing but A if you don't show them and then B if you don't care if you let them they're gonna they're gonna take the easy way out.
0: So I guess the final question that I'd have is, is this holding us back from being a food
7: oh, town? Oh, my God, yes. Oh, my God, yes. You, you have cooks that don't know the basic uh, sanitary procedures. You, ha- you, you walk into a walk-in refrigerator, and instead of having you know the meats over here, the fish over here, the produce over here. It's like it's it's a complete uh, cluster mess, hey. you know. So that when you walk in, it's like it's like who who's organized this kitchen? You know, there are maxes uh, uh, that just opened up not long ago. Uh, one of my former chefs went there uh, to apply for a job, and he sat there through lunch for an hour to watch him work. He said it was unbelievable. He said it was filthy. He said the cooks were talking back to the chef who hadn't been there very long a few weeks Mm -hmm. uh they were rude the waiters and cooks were getting into arguments uh i got news for you these are not cooks that care whether your fish is smelling a little funny or not they don't care they're going to throw it in a pan they're going to throw it on a plate and nine times out of ten the customer is not going to say anything about it so yes you you put professionalism, you put high standards, you infuse restaurants with pride and passion and respect, and you will see the level of food, the level of service, the level of professionalism skyrocket immediately. It happens very fast. So that's when we're a food town. That's when we're a food town. We were a food town when me and and Ed and Dale and... and, and uh, Joe can sit down and say, Hey guys, I had a great meal at so and so last night. Oh, I had a great meal at so and so, you know? And, and and you can say, I got friends coming into town, where should I go? Well, oh, have you tried such and such? It's really good. They don't do that. You know, if I if I call up one of my peers and say, Hey, I've got friends coming into town, anything anything new out there I should try? Yeah, not so much.
0: So real quick just to clarify, all those names that you used are, are the names of the not so innocent who who you consider your peers in this town—they're not just random Eds and
7: Dales—and uh, these are the
0: guys that just don't see anybody that they want to send folks to. You
7: know, uh, DC—you you got twenty restaurants that you want to try, and here, you, you know, you you almost don't want to—you don't want to—you don't want to frequent restaurants that fail to uphold standards well, you don't want to go to a, a mediocre restaurant
0: you're going to make us all food snobs with this jimmy
7: i hope so <laughs> but you know it's like anything else it's like I, you know i was working with uh, kevin healy at the boathouse and he called me up one day and he said he said damn you i said what he said well i've been meeting with you for weeks now at coffee shops Globehopper. he says now i can't drink wawa coffee anymore he said, I was fine with it for 15 years, and now I can't stand the stuff. And, and that's the way it works. Once you're exposed to something that's really good. We're going to get hooked. You're going to get hooked. Absolutely. Jimmy, thanks it won't for won't take long.
0: Jimmy Sneed, the famous, the infamous, the always. Jimmy and now Sneed. you know why. <laughs>
5: And that's Open Source RVA for Friday, April 25th, 2014. I'm the incredible Don Harrison, and my astonishing co-host is Chris Dovey. The show was produced by Jesse Mr. Magic Johnson, and the acrobatic Richmond Public Media News Team is Anafrio Castilla, Cameron Vigliano, Habib Rahman, and Brittany Tracy. Our board op is the amazing Danny who will amaze and bemuse you with his thrilling feats of daring do. And the other one, the other guy, the one in the Harlequin hat, sneaking smokes near the Hell's Half Acre roller coaster, it's our journeyman minstrel, Mike McKenzie. Hey, have you missed a, a past episode of Our Little Circus? We'll go back in time via WRIR's new listening portal at wrir.org. You can hear archived broadcasts of open-source RVA, and our sister show, RVA Report. Also, check out our website at rvaopensource.com to get podcasts and read breaking news and perhaps even see a cool old picture of Richmond. One that will remind you of that old joke. How many Richmonders does it take to change a light bulb? The answer is, why does the light bulb have to change? So until next time, don't go changing. This is Open Source RVA signing off.